0: Now, last week, even though our title was, uh, Where Did Mrs. Cain Come From?, and we did touch on that subject, Uh, the focus of the study last week had to do with the birth and the burden and the building of an ungodly secularism in this world. And we're going to kind of continue that understanding because after the birthing of And the building of of an ungodly secularism in this world uh, come the effects of that. And so that is why we're looking at the effects of an ungodly secularism today. Genesis 4 verse 16 begins by saying, And Cain went out from the presence of the Lord, and dwelt in the land of Nod on the east of Eden. And Cain knew his wife, and she conceived, and bare Enoch. And he built a city and called the name of the city after the name of his son, Enoch. And unto Enoch was born Irad, and Erod begat Mahujael, and Mahujael begat Methusael, and Methusael begat Lamech. And Lamech took unto him two wives. The name of the one was Adah, and the name of the other Zillah. And Ada bore or bare Jabal or Yabal. He was the father of such as dwell in tents and of such as have cattle. And his brother's name was Jubal. He was the father of all such as handle the harp and organ. And Zillah, she also bare Tubal Cain, an instructor of every artificer in brass and iron. And the sister of Tubal Cain was Naamah. And Lamech said unto his wives, Adah and Zillah, Hear my voice, you wives of Lamech. Hearken unto my speech. For I have slain a man to my wounding, and a young man to my hurt. If Cain shall be avenged sevenfold, truly Lamech, seventy and sevenfold. Shall we pray? Father, this morning we bow ourselves before you. We bow our hearts before you, Lord. We pray, Father, that you would anoint us and bless us with your Holy Spirit. We desire so much, Lord God, to understand your word. We pray, Father, that by your Holy Spirit, Lord, you will grant us your wisdom and understanding. Lord, that we would be clear of these things that we will be looking at today. Not only for our minds, but also for our hearts. We might know, Lord God, how to live, how to walk, how to serve you, Lord, in this world that is turning and has turned and continues to turn in that secular bent, the worldly bent. And so, Father, we desire so much to be able to know what manner of life we are to live as believers in Jesus Christ in a world of of this type. So strengthen us in our understanding now of your word, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. There is a very thought-provoking statement made by Jacques Ellul in his book, The Meaning of the City, in which he comments on Cain, the builder of the first city, and he writes, he is to be a wanderer and a vagabond, as such he can find no rest. He is therefore condemned to a perpetual searching for God's presence, the God with whom he wanted nothing to do, and in whom he does not believe, and his very condition keeps him from ever finding him. Whatever he does, he cannot succeed. And that is the hopelessness of it all. Last week we focused our attention upon the birth, the burden, and the building of the ungodly world of secularism by the wandering brother of the murdered Abel, while we also examined the origin and identity of Cain's wife. But as we continue on, let's consider the fact that every cause, uh, for every cause there is an ensuing effect. And in this case, the effect of Cain's rejection of God, his rejection of godly parents, his rejection of a godly family and home as he wanders to this land of Nod to establish his own home, his own family and his own city with hopes of starting afresh and apart from the God who created him, and gave him every opportunity for repentance and redemption. And yet, as Elul said in his book, he would wander without God, and that's the hopelessness of it all. In defiance to God's judgment upon him, Because God said, you're going to be a fugitive and a vagabond the rest of your life. So in defiance to God's judgment upon him, what did Cain do? Cain settled down. He had a son that he named Enoch. The word that means dedication or initiation. Because he was dedicating himself to his new life apart from God. And then he named the city after his son Enoch. Now, this Enoch is not the same Enoch that we'll meet in chapter 5, who was a descendant of Adam and Eve's son, Seth. But this Enoch here in chapter 4 will serve as an interesting contrast to the Enoch of the godly line of Seth. And so we have the first civilization now, with its architect and, and its builder seeking to construct his own paradise east of Eden, and certainly, to some extent, in mockery, of God's Garden of Eden. Well, I can't live over there by the Garden of Eden anymore. I'll create my own paradise. That's what a lot of people are today. When you look around at the world today, you would have to agree that much of human civilization is mankind's attempt to replace Eden with its own efforts. Because secular humanism continues to seek to find its roots, so to speak, since it is mired in rootlessness and restlessness. It fits the description of human civilization as given by Franklin Delano Roosevelt in his first inaugural address when he said, we don't know where we're going, but we are on our way. Doesn't that just sound like the world? We don't know where we're going, but we're on our way. You see, the fact is that every believer in Jesus Christ knows where they're going. Amen. And I hope and pray you know where you're on your way to if you know Jesus. But you've got to know Jesus. And you've got to love Jesus. And you've got to love God. And you've got to love his word. And you have to love his lordship over your life because it's a lot better than the lordship of this world. And so today we begin by following the lineage of Cain a little bit further. We see here in verse 18 that unto Enoch, the son of Cain, was born Irad, and Irad begat Mahujael, and Mahujael begat Methusel, and Methusel begat Lamech. Now, the ungodly seed, in other words, continued to grow, but it continued to grow in its secular heritage. Now we define the word secular coming from, a, from an old Latin term that, that just means worldly and temporal. And uh, so that is the way the world was then, at least where Cain took it. Because we see nothing said of the generations mentioned in this verse except for Lamech, as we'll see in just a moment. And yet from their names, we can see how the ungodly seed and society continue to grow and to develop on the earth. Now, even though six generations from Adam are mentioned, the the line is cursed. The line is cursed. So we can be assured that Messiah won't come from this lineage. The names point this out for us. We can begin with with the name Cain. Remember that Eve named Cain acquisition. Why? Because she thought that she was acquiring the one from the Lord that would be the Messiah. But instead, we see what happened in his life. Cain was acquisition. Enoch was dedication or initiation. Because now Cain was dedicated to some... Life without God, a a beginning without God. And then Enoch's firstborn was named Erad. Interestingly enough, it it, it comes from a word that means wild donkey. How would you like to name your kid wild donkey? Must have really been kicking when came out or whatever. But the word Erad also means fugitive or fleeting. Very similar to what? To what Cain was, was sentenced to. So up to this point, we have yet to see anything that points toward God, but then we have Irad giving birth to Mahujal. And that's an interesting word because sometimes in your margins of your Bibles, it'll say that this word Mahujal means smitten by God or smitten of God. But uh, that, that's kind of just uh, a very superficial look at the word itself. Because when you dig deeper into the Hebrew meaning of, of the letters and all, and the way that they're constructed, it has something to do with the name of God being blotted out. So mahujel can literally mean blot out the name of God, or as some, as, as some Hebrew scholars believe, it is a form of a question. Who proclaims God? That's what the name of this person was. Who proclaims God? Blot out the name of God. But then Mahujael begets his own son and his son is named Methusael. Very similar in name. So we see the name El, E-L at the end meaning God. So God is, is mentioned here. But in what way? Again, if you look at your margins of your Bible, you might find that Methuselah uh, may, may be translated as man of God. But again, you dig deeper into the meaning of that word. And you realize that now there is some sense of death in the name of Methusel. And if you break that down further, you see that the name means they are dead who are of God. They are dead who are of God because it is a mocking statement who demands God's death. Isn't that interesting? Rather than naming a son with some godly aspect of of the Lord God, it's really, again, laying down a very worldly, very... uh, ...rebellious type of name. Methuselah then gives birth to Lamech... ...and Lamech is probably the, the, the hardest word here... ...for some reason to understand in the Hebrew... ...but some people translate it as poor and lowly... ...or even strong youth. And that possibly in context to conceit. Strong youth in the sense of conceit or arrogance... And so if you put all of these names together, draw a picture from Cain on down to Lamech, this is what we see in the ungodly lineage from Cain on. We see an acquisition who becomes a dedicated fugitive, wild as a donkey, who is trying to wipe out the name of God, even saying that those who are of God are dead. While the reality is He's poor and lowly, but strong in his resolve to believe this. (laughs) I say that's a pretty good description of the world. It's a pretty good description of the secularism that comes from Cain's rebellion against God and his family. And where the world is even today. Because it reminds me of Paul's description of the last day's apostasy. Turn, if you will, to 2 Timothy chapter 3 and look at verses 1 through 7. And and begin to, 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 to make some connections here with what we've just learned about the names of Cain's descendants. And notice what Paul says. 2 Timothy 3 verse 1, he says this, Know also that in the last days... How many of you would believe that we're living in the last days today? I do. I honestly believe it. I honestly believe we're living in the last days and we will be able to see the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. But we need to be ready for it. So this know also that in the last days perilous times shall come. Notice, for men shall be lovers of their own selves. If you don't love God, guess what? You love yourself. Cain began to love himself, walked away from God. For men should be lovers of their own selves, covetous. What what, what stirred in Cain's heart against his brother Abel, that Abel's offering was accepted while his was not. He was covetous, he was a boaster, he was proud, and so was the rest of his line blasphemers, by walking away from his God, by saying the things that he said before God when God was seeking to have him repent and all. What did he say? He never said, Father, forgive me, or God, forgive me. He just said, boy, you've made this punishment awfully hard. Disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, without natural affection, Truce breakers, false accusers, incontinent fears. Notice this, despisers of those that are good. What did he do to his brother Abel, who sought to do right before God? Traitors, heady, high-minded. Notice, lovers of pleasures more than lovers of God. That's going to come into play here in just a moment. Having a form of godliness, but denying the power thereof. From such turn away, Paul says. Having a form of godliness. For of this sort are they which creep into houses and, head, and, and lead captive silly women laden with sins led away with diverse lusts ever learning and never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. Having a form of godliness. Listen, because a person is an atheist and says he doesn't believe in God doesn't mean he's not religious. Because they religiously love themselves and worship themselves. And they worship the things of the world. Or they worship things in the world. And Cain was one who, who actually brought an offering before the Lord of his own doing. Of his own gardens and of his own uh, fields. Putting it all together. I mean, it, it, he had a form of godliness, but he denied the power. So let's remember that Cain was religious, but as we have come to find out, the religion of the ungodly seed was worldly, it was secular, it was humanistic. In a word, a man-made religion. A lot of man-made religions today. And many of them try to base it upon the word of God, but you can't. Remember Cain's offering? It was an aesthetically pleasing offering. We talked about how beautiful it was, such as it is for some people today, bringing beautiful liturgies before God, beautiful music, beautiful words, but without the promise of God's forgiveness of sin through the shed blood of Jesus Christ. That was missing from Cain's offering the blood, the forgiveness. It is in the blood, it is in the, in the work of Jesus Christ that is the power that we are talking about here, that Paul was talking about here. The power is in the blood of Jesus Christ. Without the blood of Jesus Christ, we have nothing. We have nothing. Think of Ephesians 2 verse 13 where Paul says, But now in Christ Jesus, you who were sometimes who are far off are made near by the blood of Christ. We're brought near because of the blood of Jesus Christ. Without that, we don't come near God. Hebrews 9, verses 12 through 14. Neither by the blood of goats and calves, but by his own blood, he entered in once into the holy place, having obtained eternal redemption for us. For if the blood of bulls and goats and the ashes of a heifer sprinkling the unclean sanctifies to the purifying of the flesh, how much more shall the blood of Christ... Who through the eternal spirit offered himself without spot to God. Purge your conscience from dead works to serve the living God. Without the blood of Christ that cannot happen. The blood of bulls and goats and calves was not enough. But Jesus once and for all shed his blood for the forgiveness of our sins and for our redemption. 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 18 and 19. We've used this before. For as much as you know that you were not redeemed with corruptible things, as silver and gold from your vain conversation received by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. The power of the gospel of Jesus Christ... The power that Paul is speaking of when he says that there are those who have a form of godliness but deny the power thereof is the blood of Jesus Christ. And how thankful we need to be that we will not deny the power of Christ. We will not deny the blood of Christ. We will not deny the redemption of Christ. We will not deny the forgiveness of Christ because it is in the blood that we have redemption. We have salvation because of the blood. It's so sad when we think that in, in, in certain uh, parts of Christendom today, certain traditions don't want to speak about the blood because they say, well, it, just, it doesn't sound, you know, we need to speak about nice things, about the love of Jesus and, and the nice way, you know, the social thing, you know. No, no, no. Without the blood, we have nothing without the blood of Jesus shed for us, we have nothing. We would be wasting our time here today. And so there is where the lineage of Cain has gone. And it brings us now to the fashioning of the arrogance of Lamech. Because Lamech is the only one mentioned here here that... uh, has any anything you know that, that God wants us to know a little bit about notice in verse 19 of our text it says and Lamech took unto him two wives the name of the one was Adah and the name of the other Zillah Lamech was the first bigamist upon the earth according to scripture he was the very first person to practice Polygamy, having more than one wife. All it took was seven generations for the ungodly to slap down the God-ordained institution of marriage as the Lord had designed. Seven generations, that's it. One man for one wife, that was God's standard. The ungodly seed ignored and rebelled against God and his commandment for purity of life and marriage. They rebelled against it. Genesis chapter 2 verse 24, what, what does it say to us? Therefore shall a man, singular, leave his father and his mother, and shall cleave unto his wife, singular, and they, the two, shall become or shall be one flesh. Now that's the standard. But let's look at the at what Jesus Christ says himself to substantiate that standard coming back to this particular passage jesus in matthew 19 verses 3 through 6 when the pharisees came unto him tempting him and saying unto him is it lawful for a man to put away his wife for every cause and he answered and said unto them have you not read that he which made them at the beginning made them male and female how interesting that jesus would go and begin right there To talk about marriage and to set again the other standard that is a a part of this institution, which is male and female. Jesus said it. And then he said, and said, for this cause shall a man leave father and mother and shall cleave to his wife. Man singular, wife singular, and they twain. Now, the word twain in the King James just means two. And they two shall be one flesh. How many years from the time that the standard was established to when Jesus says this? A good number of years. But the standard didn't change, did it? And then he says, Wherefore they are no more two, twain, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let not man put asunder it's interesting how man puts asunder the things of God. It's not just a matter of dividing two people. It's a matter of dividing up the way God has made things to be. Male and female. One man, one wife. That's the standard. I mentioned last night also that at the end of, of, the, of, the, uh, of the Old Testament, at least in this Christian uh, Bible, Malachi chapter 2 verses 14 and 15, Where it says, yet you say, wherefore, because the Lord has been witness between thee and the wife of thy youth, against whom thou hast dealt treacherously, yet is she thy companion and the wife of thy covenant? And did not he make one? Yet had he the residue of the Spirit, and wherefore one, that he might seek a godly seed, therefore take heed to your spirit, and let none deal treacherously against the wife of his youth. And again, it is very clear, and the only reason I use this is to point out the fact that that the standard remains consistent, one wife. Singular. So, in Lamech now, in the fourth chapter of the first book of the Bible, in Lamech, the passion of society to seek after the cult of beauty and sex was launched. And and this is suggested in the names of his two wives. First of all, of course, he goes against the standard of God. But then there's something that we see in the names of these women to uh, give us an idea of, what, of where he's going with all of this. Ada, the, the name Ada means ornament, adorned, uh, attractive, beauty, and pleasure. It's used for all of those words. And the name Zilla, interestingly enough, means shady or shadow. And probably referring to the, to the beautiful color or the shadow of, of, of a person's hair or skin. So it all comes back to the issue of beauty. It all comes back to the outward. And here was now a culture that was committed to physical pleasure, to physical beauty, to physical charm, and not to those inner qualities that Peter speaks of in his first letter, 1 Peter 3, where he writes in verses 1 through 4, Likewise, you wives, be in subjection to your own husbands, that if any obey not the word... They also may without the word be won by the conversation or the conduct of the wives. While they behold your chaste conversation or conduct coupled with fear. They see your conduct and your fear of God in the sense of honoring God, of respecting God, and, and so on. Whose adorning, let it not be that outward adorning of plaiting the hair or of wearing gold or putting on apparel. In other words, going way beyond just, you know... Just a very modest or, or uh, uh, appearance, but then he says, "Let it be, but let it be the hidden man of the heart, in, wh- in, in that which is not corruptible, even the ornament of a meek and quiet spirit. If you're going to wear any ornament whatsoever, let it be a meek and quiet spirit, which is in the sight of God of great price. It is of great value." And I would encourage you all today, women, as, first of all, I would encourage you, read as often as you can, Proverbs 31. It lays a beautiful foundation for the woman of God. But I'm not saying this just to you. Let me say to each and every one of you husbands, read Proverbs 31 too. Because this describes the person that God has given you and your responsibility to be sure that she is a Proverbs 31 woman so husbands you have the greater responsibility here so read Proverbs 31 Do you know that uh, within uh, within a one-year period if you read uh, Proverbs because uh, there's 31 Proverbs chapters uh, you can actually read uh, you know every day a proverb for a day except on the, you know, when a month it has 30 days, right? So you have to read two there, and then February you have to read extra uh, verses after 28, unless it's leap year and, and so on. But the point, the point is this you should be able to read Proverbs 31 how many times in a year? 12. 12 times. Now, this wasn't a test, and I'm not going to flunk you if I heard some other number, because I did, but that's okay. Uh, 12 times. You can read it 12 times. But you know what? You can read it anytime. You can read it more than that. The idea is when God puts something in there that describes the way that we're to be and how we're to treat those who are to be that way, boy, what a blessing that is. So we see the importance of what Peter says here. But it would seem that Lamech was attracted by the beauty and the pleasure of the flesh, so much so that he let his passions run loose. And certainly not only himself, but his wives were obviously in agreement with this lifestyle as well. Okay, we'll agree to be your wives. Can you imagine Ada and Zilla and each other? You know, Ada would say something to her and she's Oh God Zilla. <laughs> they must have had a good time being this guy's wife. But what a reflection of the problems in our modern day society. Fleshly passions and immoral urges run uncontrolled today. Beauty and sex sell everything from soap to cars to hamburgers. Right? We can't, it just seems like we can't get away from it. Some people though, when we think about it, even in the church, listen. Listen. Some people spend more time in front of a mirror than they do with God. Some people spend more money on clothes and cosmetics than they do for Christ. Some people spend more time watching graphic sexual scenes on television than they do seeking the face of God. And that's people in the church. It's it like in the world? The problem is we brought some of the world into the church and we, we better deal with that. By cutting those things away from our lifestyle. From our lives and from our walks. I bring this to remembrance to you again. Romans chapter 6 verses 12 through 14. I know we've, we've read this over in, in the past few months. But listen. Paul said, Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body that you should obey it in the lust thereof. Neither yield ye your members as instruments of unrighteousness. What are your members? Very simply, he's talking about your body parts. Every part of you. Neither yield ye your members as instruments of unrighteousness unto sin. But yield yourselves unto God as those that are alive from the dead. And your members as instruments of righteousness unto God. For sin shall not have dominion over you. For you are not under law but under grace. Our members, the mem- the body, the parts of our body, everything that is about us is to be yielded to God. Think about it. Your mind, the thoughts, are to be yielded to God. Your eyes, the things that you see, to be yielded to God. Your ears, the things that you hear, to be yielded unto God. The things that you say through your mouth, to be yielded unto God. The things you do with your hands, that they will give honor and glory to God. The places where your feet take you, that you go to places that honor God. And everything else in between. What comes in and what goes out is to be given unto God, not to your own desires. We are dead and our life is in Christ now. Our life is in Christ. Getting back to our text we see a rapid advancement now in home building, in music, and the arts, and even metalworking taking place in the city of Enoch. Rapid advancement. Think about this. Look at, look at verses 20 through 22. And Adab bear Jabal, he was the father of such as dwell in tents and of such as have cattle. And his brother's name was Jubal, he was the father of all such as handle the harp and organ. And Zillah she also bare Tubal-Cain, an instructor of ev- every artificer in brass and iron. And the sister of Tubal-Cain was Naamah. Now the first three, uh, you know, they, they really did have uh, some sense of, of, of uh, gift or talents, you know, to bring about certain things to come. Naamah just was pretty. That's all at the end there. Now we'll talk about that in a moment. But from the desires for the pleasures of flesh through Lamech, we are now directed to the desires for prosperity, desires for prestige and power in the offspring of Lamech. Fame, wealth, and culture may be the foundation of many a modern culture today, but their roots were firmly begun in the earliest civilization mentioned in Scripture. Jabal was a rancher who raised livestock. He was also the discoverer of the nomadic tent, Now, obviously, his need was to constantly move the herds from pasture to pasture, which created a need for movable housing. This also made him famous because he was called the father of tent makers and ranchers. So he had fame because he had cattle. And and by the way, the cattle and the livestock was not just cattle as we know it, but it included probably more than likely cattle. Camels and, and donkeys and all other kinds of, of animals, brought together so that they could use them as, as their uh, means of, of, of money. So anybody that was a cattle, even in the Middle East today, uh, ranches of that type are considered wealthy. Were throughout all of scripture, as a matter of fact. Now, is there anything wrong with ranching? No, there's nothing wrong with ranching, nothing wrong with even making tents. Remember that Paul was a tent maker too. In and of themselves, these are not bad things. But what is the foundation of these things when it comes to the reasons for them? In in this case, in the uh, offspring of Cain. Jubal, from which we get the word jubilee. He was a musician and the inventor of stringed instruments as well as re-type instruments for making music. music music's not so bad, is it? I mean, it's a, that's a good thing to have. But now today we can say, well, I like this music, but not that. You know, there's some things I hear sometimes today. You know, when I'm trying to drive in the car and somebody pulls up and I, and I can't even hear what I'm listening to. And I'm thinking, that's not music. That's an invasion of privacy. <laughs> so, you know, we, we, we kind of have, uh, you know, we, we we're subjective about it, but you know, there's good music and there's not so good music. But music's a good thing overall. So what's the problem with it? Well, Jubal was also famous, wasn't he? Because he was the father of all such who handle musical instruments. We turn now to the offspring of Zillah, uh, Tubal-Cain, the offspring of Cain. Here was a metal worker working with both brass and iron. In fact, the description of Tubal-Cain implies that he was an instructor of those who would actually fashion weapons. He was a fashioner of weapons. Now, why is this significant? It is significant because you see, after the fall, nobody trusts anybody. And the funny thing is that nobody who trusted nobody or anybody who trusted anybody or didn't trust anybody, they were all related anyway, remember? They all came from Adam and Eve. But after Cain, you know, after the news spread of Cain killing Abel, and the fact that God had put a mark on him so that if anybody killed Cain, well, he was, he was you know, he was, whoever did that was going to receive judgment sevenfold. Yet it stirred up in people's hearts. Look at what Lamech did, as we'll see in just a moment. Kill somebody for just probably accidentally injuring him in some way. But we'll get to that in a moment fact is, with Cain, he, he was actually an instructor of those who would fashion weapons. And while, while many different kinds of useful things were made from the raw materials that he worked with, the weapons were his primary focus. Now, we're not going to get into, right, right now, the, the, the details of time as it applies to when metalworking began and, and, and all of that. As a matter of fact, we'll get into that more when we move into chapters 5 and 6 and, and begin to deal, actually, with, with uh, um, the, um, the geology of the flood and all of that. But nonetheless, if God says that that's what they did, then that's what they did. And that's what Tubal-Cain did. But then his sisters mentioned, Naamah. Again, somebody whose name means beautiful and attractive and pleasant. Pleasure continues to be an emphasis for this culture as represented in this woman's name. But please take note that not a word, and, and this is really where we're going here with this. Not a word is mentioned about God in this description Of the offspring of Lamech, and therefore in this godly line of civilization and society. God isn't mentioned. God is not mentioned. Doesn't that sound familiar? In the way that people are trying to take God out of things today, actually we can go all the way back to 1960 when they were trying to take prayer out of schools, and after that, to try to take the name out of name of God out of schools, and they're, they're still trying, it's still they're trying to be as successful as they possibly can, there's all kinds of things going on, I was watching the news the other day, and some, some lady who had posted a, a, a little advertisement saying that she was seeking a, a Christian uh, 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 a roommate, uh, you know, to share uh, an apartment or something, that some, somebody went to the ACLU, or one of those groups, and said, oh, listen, this is against the law, she shouldn't be advertising for a Christian uh, you know, and I'm thinking, what is wrong with this country? What, where are we going with that? Whatever happened to free speech? Whatever happened to that First Amendment? Boy, we're tearing that up, isn't it? aren't we? But the only things mentioned here, as today, the only thing mentioned here are the world's work and employment, the world's wealth and, and possessions, the world's culture and the world's interests, the world's tools, the world's items, the world's weapons, and the world's fascination and lust for beauty and sex. Just continues. But now understand, as I said earlier, that all these things are important, even necessary, for societies to survive and progress. Music and the arts and industry important you wouldn't be sitting on those chairs if we didn't have some industrious uh, inventors that uh, you know learned to put a cushion on a couple of pieces of metal but here's the question what about god what about god he is totally absent from the ungodly line of society totally absent here And in the mindset of the modern world today, God is still absent from secular society. In their mindset, God is absent. That is why we as believers in Jesus Christ ought not to be silent. That's why we need to continue to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. That is why we need to continue to give testimony to the power of the blood of Jesus Christ for redemption. Listen, just a couple of days ago, I was watching the end of the Texas Ranger-Yankee game. Uh, I don't really care who you were going for, but I'll tell you this. At the very end, the person that they went to interview who was the MVP for that series proclaimed his faith in Jesus Christ, loudly and strongly. And I said, praise the Lord. And he not only did it on that one station, he did it on another station as well. He wasn't ashamed to share his, his faith in Christ. I said that. I was watching this one guy that was from, I, th- I think it was with, uh, uh, with Fox News or whatever. And anyway, he was interviewing him and, and he started talking about Jesus Christ. And the guy looked like he was a little nervous. Like, uh, I don't know what to say here at this point, you know. you know what you should say is how can I be a Christian too you know I mean that's what you should he should have said we ought not to be ashamed because the world still considers God to be absent from society and the fact is they don't want him to be present in society but what kind of society is being built a people without God a people without hope Both in this life and in the life to come. That is what kind of society man is trying to build today. As he did from the pattern set in Cain's line through Lamech. All the way down through Lamech. A people without God is a people without hope in this life and in the life to come. Proverbs chapter 21 verse 16 says that the man that wanders out of the way of understanding shall remain in the congregation of the dead. Look, you can be alive spiritually, but I mean physically, but if, you're not, but if you're not in God and you don't believe in God and you don't believe in Christ, you don't trust in him, guess what, you're dead. Paul says that in Ephesians, in Ephesians chapter two. You're dead. We were dead. We were physically alive, but we were dead in our trespasses and sins. But God, who is rich in mercy even when we were yet dead in our trespasses and sins, made us alive together in Christ. For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. The man that wanders out of the way of understanding shall remain in the congregation of the dead. Isaiah, to the children of Israel that walked away from God, he said, For you shall be as an oak whose leaf fadeth and as a garden that has no water. Well, if a leaf fades and, and, and a garden has no water, what do you have? Deadness. You have deadness. Jeremiah says, speaking in, 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 uh, for the Lord, he says, Thus saith the Lord, what iniquity have your fathers found in me? Jeremiah two five. What iniquity have your fathers found in me that they are gone far from me and have walked after vanity and are become vain? Isn't that a, I mean, that is an insightful question that God is asking. What sin have your fathers found in me that you walk away from me? I mean, that is tremendously insightful here. Because that is the way man who says they don't believe in God, treat God today anyway. That's how they treat God. It's, it's God that's wrong. It's God that's unfair. It's God that kills. It's God that steals. It's God that robs us of life. It's God that took this person away from me or that person away from me. What did Job say? The Lord giveth and the Lord taketh away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Who are we? Question the Almighty, who, by the way, loves us still and cares for us still. And even loves us in spite of us, and blesses us in spite of us. From the fashioning of the arrogance of Lamech, we turn now to the forging of the arrogance of Lamech. It's one thing to fashion something, it's another thing to harden it, to make it solid. And now we see the arrogance of Lamech made solid in verses 23 and 24. And Lamech said unto his wives, Adah and Zillah, Hear my voice, you wives of Lamech, Hear, uh, hearken unto my speech. For I have slain a man to my wounding and a young man to my hurt. In other words, I have killed somebody or hurt me. He hurt me, I killed him. We don't know if he hurt him accidentally or, you know, purposely or whatever. All we know is, somebody hurt me, I killed him. If Cain shall be avenged sevenfold, truly Lamech, seventy and sevenfold. Now that's arrogance. That's a good picture of great defiance against God. And just as Tubal-Cain forged metals into weapons of destruction, Lamech's heart was hardened by the fires of his murderous boasting. I mean, look at the boasting of his sin. He murdered a man, he justified his actions, and he wanted his wives to know of his actions. How he was wounded by this man, we don't know, but his actions far surpassed what he did to this man, or what this man did to him. He murdered him. And it's the same word that is used for what Cain did to his brother Abel. He murdered him. And he wants to be justified for his actions as he boasts about them. This is, this is all a boast here. But here we have that clear picture of humanism and secularism again. You see, the city is Cain's city. The focus of Lamech... Is his beautiful wives and his own perceived strength. But will you notice that for all of his boasting, neither he nor his descendants are ever heard from again in the scriptures. You'll never hear from them again. Lema came to nothing. Lema came to nothing. Because you see, the ungodly can boast all they want. But the reality is, those that reject God have the same destiny. You will come to nothing, and you will be judged by God. God is still merciful, but God is still God. God is gracious, but God is still holy. God can still be considered love, but He is... Righteous and just. Now, if Jesus said this of professing believers, what I'm going to read to you right now. If Jesus said this of professing believers, people who say they believe God, listen to what he said. Matthew 7, Sermon on the Mount, verse 21. Not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven. But he that doeth the will of my Father which is in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name? And in thy name have cast out devils? And in thy name done many wonderful works? And then will I profess unto them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you that work iniquity. I never knew you. If Jesus said this of professing believers, what will the end be for those who choose to live their lives without the knowledge or presence of the God who created them? What's going to happen to them? I want to, I want to have you turn once again to Romans chapter 1. And as you're doing that, I, I want to mention how it is that God has continued to put our studies of Genesis and Romans together uh, and weave them together. We, we, we have just been doing the same thing on Wednesday nights, coming back to the book of Genesis and seeing how all of this is tied in. And while you're turning there, I want to, t- I want to tell you this I'm teaching the book of Genesis on Saturday and Sundays. Not because I want to but because God wants me to. And I'm teaching the book of Romans on Wednesday night. Not because I wanted to but because God wanted me to. What is it that God wants us to know about Him? I can, I can say this again, you know, people have, have often said we're, we're, out, we're working awfully slow through the book of Genesis. Maybe God wants us to get something from it. I'm not going to go any faster until God tells me. Maybe we need to listen. But God says in Romans chapter 1, verses 28 through 32, and even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, sound familiar? The line of Cain, God gave them over to a reprobate mind to do those things which are not convenient. Convenient. Being filled with all unrighteousness, fornication, wickedness, covetousness, maliciousness, full of envy, murder, debate, deceit, malignity, whispers, backbiters, haters of God, despiteful, proud, boasters, inventor of evil things. Disobedient to parents. Sound familiar? Sounds like the list we read in 2 Timothy chapter 3. Without understanding... Covenant breakers, without natural affection, implacable, unmerciful, who, notice this, who knowing the judgment of God, that they which commit such things are worthy of death, not only do the same, but have pleasure in them that do them. What will the end be for those who choose to live their lives without the knowledge or presence of the God who created them? I share this with you because of the seriousness of the book of Genesis and the book of Romans. The seriousness by which Paul preached his heart out to get people to focus their attention upon the goodness of God, the mercy of God, but the holiness of God as well. And I want want to close with this. Turn to 2 Peter chapter 3. Because there is reasons why we're doing this. I mentioned last week that my heart is burdened because I want people to realize that God is not playing games with us. God is not playing games with us. 2 Peter chapter 3. Verse 1, this second epistle, beloved, I now write unto you and both which I stir up your pure minds by way of remembrance, that you may be mindful of the words which were spoken before by the holy prophets and of the commandment of us, the apostles of the Lord and Savior. Knowing this first, that there shall, come in the, uh, there shall come in the last day scoffers walking after their own lusts and saying, where is the promise of his coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of the creation. Nothing changes. For this they willingly are ignorant of, that by the word of God the heavens were of old, and the earth standing out of the water and in the water, whereby the world that then was being overflowed with water perished, the flood. The heavens and the earth, which are now by the same word, are kept in store, reserved unto fire against the day of judgment and perdition of ungodly men. But beloved, when Peter says beloved, he's speaking to you who believe in Jesus Christ. He says, but beloved, be not ignorant of this one thing, that one day is with the Lord as a thousand years, and a thousand years as one day. The Lord is not slack concerning his promise as some men count slackness but is long suffering to us were not willing that any should perish but that all should come to repentance. That's the heart of God. But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night. In the which the heavens shall pass away with a great noise, and the elements shall melt with fervent heat, the earth also and the works that are therein shall be burned up. Seeing then that all these things shall be dissolved, what manner of persons ought you to be in all holy conversation, which is conduct and living? What what manner of persons ought you to be in all holy conversation and godliness? looking for and hasting unto the coming of the day of God, wherein the heavens being on fire shall be dissolved, and the elements shall melt with fervent heat. What manner of persons ought we to be? God is saying, listen, you need to be different than the world. Quit bringing the world, or quit trying to bring the world into the church. It's time to be the church, the people of God. What manner of persons ought you to be in holy conversation and godliness? Looking for the coming of the day of God. Nevertheless, verse 13, we, according to his promise, look for new heavens and a new earth wherein dwelleth righteousness. Wherefore, beloved, seeing that you look for such things, be diligent that you may be found of him in peace without spot, blameless. Be diligent, he says, that you may be found in him in peace. An account that the long-suffering of our Lord is salvation, even as our beloved brother Paul also, according to the wisdom given unto him, has written unto you. We have heard the words of Paul. We've heard the words of Peter. We've heard the words of Jesus. And we've heard the words of God. Is there anything here that is not important? Is there anything here that we should just put aside until things get really bad? May I tell you things are bad already, but greater is he that is in you than he that is in this world. Our God reigns. Our God reigns. And Jesus Christ, our Lord, is coming back again soon, and we need to be ready so let's get ready I don't care if I have to tell you that until I'm blue in the face let's get ready because he's coming let's keep ourselves right before God not by works of righteousness which we've done but according to his mercy let's live our lives surrendered to the will of the father in the love of Christ and by the power of his Holy Spirit let's pray